0: Chapter eight of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight Miss Brown's Bewilderments On the second morning after the plans for the morning meeting had been made, mr Brown, who was watching for late comers to provide them with seats and hymn books, handed an open book to Mary Brown and indicated a vacant chair. When his duties were over, he took the chair next to hers. She sat beside him during the hour, dignified and decorous. She found the hymns announced and followed the words with her eyes, and bowed her head at prayer-time, and apparently listened intently to the Bible lesson. Neither by word nor glance did she betray the fact that she was in a new world. To people not familiar with society life in great cities it might seem almost incredible that this young woman of twenty-six, belonging to a nominally Christian family, had never in her life before attended a social prayer-meeting that was conducted somewhat after the manner of a family gathering. The truth was that Mary Brown had rarely been to a religious meeting of any kind on a weekday. The Lenten services had never appealed to her when the gay and worldly family were together, and since she had been alone no force of early habit had drawn her there. Once a day on pleasant Sabbaths, when nothing occurred to prevent, it had been her custom to attend the church service, and certain solemn words and phrases were as familiar to her as the roll of the great organ, and meant about the same thing. As she sat outwardly quiet in that strange Mount Hermon meeting, she recollected that the words, have mercy on us miserable sinners, had been often on her lips, but it had never occurred to her that she was praying. The people about her seemed to be having an interview with God. As for the singing, she had never given heed to the words that the vested choir poured forth in a volume of exquisite harmony. They said words, of course, but they might have been in an unknown tongue, for all that she had heard or tried to hear of them. But the hymn that these people were singing as she entered the room sounded almost irreverent in its directness and plain-spokenness. Was it right, she wondered, to be so familiar with the deity? She turned to the page and read again the refrain that had first met her ears. Saved and kept, O the glorious word! Saved and kept by a wonderful Lord! He who is dead and is risen from the grave, lives and is able to keep and to save. These people rang out the words exultantly. It was not possible to believe that they did not feel what they were singing, and yet what extraordinary claims they made! Saved and kept by the power divine! Saved to the uttermost, Jesus is mine. He is redemption, and righteousness too. Trusting in Him, all my life is made new." She stole curious glances now and again at the people about her. They had sung as though they were sure of its truth. Life made new. Mary Brown, in the loneliness of her room, had used those very words. I need to have my life made all over new, she had said aloud to herself in dreariness. This life I am living is worn threadbare yet she had not for a moment thought that such making over could ever be. It was good to be there, was it not? It was Mr. Brown who said these words, simply, as though they expressed a commonplace with which she would of course agree. They were going from the meeting. He had glanced back to see who was coming, and had waited for her. She regarded him curiously, and made an unexpected reply. "'I don't know, was it?' "'To me, yes,' he said, smiling. "'I hoped it was to everyone present.' She had not meant to talk, but a desire to understand became imperative. "'What was there about it that was good?' she asked almost brusquely. "'Everything. The Lord was there.' She made an impatient movement. "'I don't know what you mean,' she said. "'Isn't he everywhere?' "'Ah, but I mean in the sense of fellowship, of course, and communion. Where two or three are gathered is the promise, you know.' She did not know. Bible promises, even such a frequently quoted one as this, were not familiar to her but she made no reply. She had already told this man that she did not know what he meant. If he chose to insist that she did, there was nothing more to be said. She turned at the intersecting street and made her way to the little department store, intent on Mrs. Roberts's errands. But as she hurried over the trail, for once her eyes were blind to the beauties of fern and lichen and dainty wildflowers spread with lavish hand. She was making the trying discovery that by taking a leap from her known world, she had by no means left behind her dissatisfaction and unrest never had she been more thoroughly dissatisfied with herself than at this moment the morning meeting which she had attended solely to please mrs roberts who wanted to be kind to her had emphasized the thought which had been growing on her for several days that these people among whom she had come spoke and prayed a language that she did not understand they referred in an entirely matter-of-course way to experiences that she had not supposed sane people in these days believed in as possible they seemed also to have a motive for living and a companionship in living that was not only altogether unknown to her, but seemed to her almost like sacrilege. Yet it gave them glad, quiet faces, and they were living strong, glad lives. Mary Thornton Brown of Euston Square knew no such living, and was jealous over it. Take that morning meeting, of which Mr. Brown thought so highly, as an example. She felt almost impatient over the praying. It had given her a feeling more akin to homesickness than any she had felt since she left the great eastern city not homesick for Euston Square and the conventional life she lived there—oh, no, indeed! But that deep and desolate unrest, which had haunted her ever since Graves had closed over all that meant home to her, had seemed to be accentuated by the atmosphere of prayer she had breathed that morning. She would not go again, she told herself impatiently, not if Mrs. Roberts went down on her knees to her. She could not afford to have this experiment of hers spoiled by the strange talk of a company of visionary enthusiasts. She would send Mrs. Roberts in her place. Perhaps she was one of them, and could understand their flights. She laughed at her own folly as she made this decision. Mrs. Roberts, visionary, the most practical and matter-of-fact businesswoman with whom she had ever come in contact. Still, it was Mrs. Roberts who had assured her that those morning meetings gave her a lift somehow, for all the day. Very well, then, she should get her lift. Mary Brown had no use for it. Yet the next morning she was in her seat near the door, open hymn-book in hand. Mrs. Roberts had been so earnest in her appeal that the young woman could not get the consent of herself to disappoint her but she was sorry that she came. It was even worse than it had been the day before. The hymn they were singing offended her. The refrain seemed impertinent. No one can help you but Jesus, for no one but Jesus knows how. He sees all the past and the future, and just what the trouble is now. Mere doggerel, she told herself angrily, both words and tune calculated to put poetry and harmony to the blush. It was incredible that such stuff could move people. Then what was moving her? FOR AS THE REFRAIN WAS REPEATED SOFTLY, HE SEES ALL THE PAST AND THE FUTURE, AND JUST WHAT IS TROUBLING YOU NOW. THERE CAME SUCH A SENSE OF DESOLATION, OF LONGING, AS ALMOST OVERWHELMED HER. OH, TO BE FOR A SINGLE HOUR WITH ONE WHO KNEW ALL THE PAST AND THE FUTURE, AND COULD TELL HER HOW TO ORDER HER LIFE. DID THEY HAVE SUCH FELLOWSHIP, THESE PEOPLE? WHY SHOULD THEY? IT WAS ABSURD TO SUPPOSE IT. HAD SHE NOT BEEN WITH RELIGIOUS PEOPLE ALL HER LIFE, YET SHE HAD NEVER HEARD ANYTHING LIKE THIS. It must be the familiarity of ignorance. But that was folly. Men and women about her by the score were of the class that to think of as ignorant or uncultured was not only an impertinence but arrant nonsense, and the leaders among them were men upon whom the stamp of scholarship was unmistakable. She went home in a turmoil, and told herself that mrs Roberts need do no more sacrificing for her. To this resolution she held stoutly for a week, and then was touched by the unmistakable earnestness of the plea that she would go just once more and see how it would hearten her up. "'Did you ever hear Mr. Brown pray?' the good woman said, beaming on her unwilling maid as she slowly removed the great work apron that hadn't completely covered her neat dress. "'If you haven't, you've missed a good deal. I just hope he will pray this morning. There's something kind of strange about that man's prayers. I don't know as I can describe them. It isn't the words, exactly. It isn't anything that can be described, but—' "'Well, you just wait till you hear him, and you will understand.'" And Mr. Brown prayed. But Mrs. Roberts's maid had not understood—' and had felt more bewildered than before. "'You spoke just as though you were a son having an interview with his father.' This was the sentence which greeted his ears as he joined her at the door. There was disapproval in her tones, and Mr. Brown, taken by surprise, did not at first understand. "'When?' he asked. "'Just now, a moment ago, when you spoke.' "'Oh, when I prayed, do you mean? Well, wasn't that precisely the situation?' "'No!' she could not help speaking almost irritably. That is sentiment, of course, or poetry. I don't know what you name it. I like real things. I beg your pardon, my friend. I have no thought of being poetical. There is nothing more real in life to me than personal communion with my Father in Heaven. If I could not be certain of this, prayer to me would degenerate into mere form, and phrases in common use would be only solemn mockery. That is what they seem to me to be much of the time. But that is because you do not know your Father, in the way that it is your privilege to know him. At least am I wrong in inferring that you are not a Christian? I am a church member, if that is what you mean. It is not, precisely. It is true the terms ought to be synonymous, but I fear they are not. I have known church members who seem to have no more idea of what communion with God as a Father, or companionship with Jesus Christ as a present Saviour, meant than if they had never heard the terms. But a religion of that kind would not satisfy me. Nor had it ever satisfied Mary Brown. She discovered that she had a feeling of almost resentment toward those who seemed to have found something satisfying which she had not. She told herself that she was glad of an interruption, as someone came up just then to claim Mr. Brown for a business matter. She wished she had not said what she did. It would give him an excuse to talk some more of his bewildering fanaticism. That is just what these people were, fanatics. But, oh, was not fanaticism worthwhile if it satisfied? All her life, or at least all her grown-up life, Mary Brown knew that she had been dissatisfied with life as it shaped itself for her. Its frivolities and parades and insincerities had repelled her from the first. Although her mother had been a fashionable woman, she had also been home-loving, and mother and daughter together had escaped from the fashionable whirl as often as they could, and hid themselves in the family circle. When that circle was broken suddenly, ruthlessly, and one after another of its members were snatched away with appalling swiftness, leaving her presently alone The desolation that at first seemed to engulf her like a flood had been fearful. When at last she struggled back to something like a shore and took up life again, naturally it had a greater distaste for her than ever before, and the aversion grew with her years. She knew that one strong, pushing motive in suddenly planning this strange holiday had been the hope that in simpler surroundings, among quiet people who lived for something besides society, she might find relief. But she resented the air of mystery about her, these people the plainest as well as the most cultivated seemed to breathe an atmosphere which she did not understand and could not assimilate even mrs roberts that hard-worked woman who had evidently spent her life in a daily struggle with ways and means and who had a spectre of pecuniary failure ever at her elbow had nevertheless hours when she closed her eyes to the spectre laid aside her perplexities forgot her annoyances and breathed in peace of soul and strength for future effort from these very meetings which so bewildered her maidservant Still, she need not have said, even Mrs. Roberts. The truth was that that good woman was one of her daily puzzles. She had never before come in contact with a character like hers. A woman shrewd by nature and by education, quick to see a bargain and eager to take advantage of any turn in market values. Her keen brain penetrated through disguises and shams of every kind, and her vigilant eyes and ready tongue were the terror of all crooked tradesmen, whether they dealt in large ripe berries on top and half-grown ones underneath, or tried to sell her fresh vegetables three or four days old. She was herself scrupulously honest and just, and she required honesty and justice from those with whom she dealt. But she was much more than that. She had daily petty frets and annoyances. What with delays and broken promises and careless workers and troublesome boarders, and the inevitable breakages and spillings and forgettings that belonged especially to a country boarding house, where many of the ordinary conveniences have to be represented by clumsy substitutes, or done without altogether, she had enough on any single day, in the language of Irish Mary, to provoked the tongue of the blissed virgin herself. Yet this woman, with whose quick brain and ready tongue went naturally a quick temper and sharp stabbing words, controlled herself even under strong provocation, and spoke not only without sharpness, but with actual pity for the culprits, and made constant patient effort to order her house so that life would be pleasanter for them. Clearly there was no ordinary solution to the mystery which surrounded her. End of chapter 8